Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we are going to be previewing this week's U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club. It is golf's third major, arguably the biggest one, depending on your viewpoint, arguably the one that's going to be the best on TV, depending on how your viewpoint. Either way, it is shaping up to be a big week in golf. We have got all the big names back together for the third major championship of the year. Um, so today on this episode, we are going to get you prepared for Los Angeles Country Club. We're going to break down the course itself. We're going to tell you what type of skill sets can succeed around here at Los Angeles Country Club. And we're also going to tell you what type of golfers you can target at Los Angeles Country Club. And we're also going to compare it to some other courses that have been featured as PGA Tour venues or major championship venues. So it's going to be pretty action-packed episode here. Um, this week, we've got a lot of content coming your way. Tonight is the course preview. Tomorrow, we're going to take all the information that we talked about tonight, and we're going to put it into to our DFS preview and talk about how it can specifically help you build lineups uh, and kind of how to construct your lineups as we head into this major weekend. Uh, and then later on in the week, we're also going to have a special guest here on the podcast. We're going to break down some bets, uh, whether you are playing pools or drafts for the U.S. Open. Uh, we're going to talk about that specifically on there as well. So We've got the U.S. Open covered from all angles this week, um, and I'm not going to lie, y'all, when I first heard of Los Angeles Country Club, just kind of seeing where it was on a map and like looking at Google Images, I wasn't too thrilled about the site, but the more research I've done, all the flyovers I've watched, all the articles I've read, all the podcasts and videos I've watched and listened to, I'm really looking forward to this week. I'm really looking forward to seeing Los Angeles Country Club on the TV, so hopefully it'll be a good one. Now, last bit of housekeeping to get into, we are now on YouTube. So if you've been a long-time listener of the podcast, go check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Mike's Money Picks. Um, and also, if you're listening here on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Please hit that like button. It really does help me out a lot. Uh, and then also, please subscribe to the audio podcast as well, whether you're on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, Every little bit of engage, it helps me out. I'm trying to grow this podcast, trying to now grow this YouTube channel. Um, so every little bit helps. I really do appreciate it. Also, Underdog Fantasy is having some contests this week for um, the U.S. Open at Los Angeles Country Club. They're doing drafts. They're also doing um, pickums with you know player props for certain golfers. And I'm going to be playing on Underdog all week. If you want to join Underdog and you want to be new on Underdog, use promo code mconnolly 88 It is pinned to my Twitter profile at Mike's Money Picks. You will get your first deposit matched up to $100. So it's basically free money if you plan on depositing on Underdog. And it also helps me get a little bit of um, help as well. So um, if you are looking and joining Underdog, please check that out on my Twitter profile or just type it in promo code mconnolly 88 It's from my personal account. All right. So that does it for all the housekeeping stuff, y'all. So let's go ahead and start breaking down Los Angeles Country Club. But first, a quick word from our friends at Spotify. All right, so let's start breaking down Los Angeles Country Club. So got the scorecard showing up here on the screen. This will prove to be one of the most unique major championship menus in recent memory. First off, it's going to set up as a par 70, and it's going to be 7,400 yards, and it's got a very diverse scorecard, very diverse variety of holes uh, that the golfers are going to be forced to attack here this week at LACC. Um, you've got five total par threes and three total par fives. That's how it gets to the par 70 number, but like the distances that these holes have, there's just such variety in the distances of the holes and the shots that the golfers are going to be asked to hit as you know they head into these holes. So first off, all the par fives are going to be gettable. 
the par fives are really going to be the scoring holes this week. 14 is the longest par five at 623 yards on the card, uh, so it likely will not be reachable in two shots. However, I still think that that's going to profile as one of the easier holes on the course this week. It is going to be looked at as a birdie hole because it is a par five. Now, the par threes provide a great deal of variety. So one par three, hole number 15, is listed as 124 yards on the card, but it could play as short as 75 yards depending on the pin location. It's a very like long and narrow green on hole 15. Um, so if it's placed at the very front of the green, it's going to be a very tricky approach shot, but it'll only be about 75 yards. Uh, and then two of the other par threes are listed as over 280 yards on the card. That would be hole 11 and hole 7. Now, the USGA, we've seen this in the past. They like like to play with the distances on holes. They like to play with the tee boxes. They really did it bad at uh, Chambers Bay a few years back where they kind of changed scores from round to round from par five to par four. Um, but basically, you're going to see these distances fluctuate, right? But bottom line is this is going to be a very long golf course with a lot of variety. Now, hole six is going to be considered a drivable par four. However, it's going to be very difficult to hit that green on the fly and have it hold. It's a very small green. It's a very weird angle to that green. So I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily class that as a drivable par four, but I guess on the card at 330, that's probably what some guys are going to be thinking this week. Uh, and then we've got six par fours on the card that are going to be over 480 yards. So it's definitely going to be a test where some of these holes are going to be pretty long. Um, however, I will say, I don't think the holes are going to play necessarily as long as they are on the card. Um, it's got going to have very firm and fast conditions this week. And so if you're going to be landing in the fairway, then you're going to be looking at a lot of roll and a lot of distance for it shots. Now, let's go ahead and talk about kind of the, the build of this course. So the architect is George Thomas, um, notable because he pretty much only designed golf courses in Los Angeles, and he designed the other two most famous golf courses in Los Angeles as well. He designed Riviera Country Club, home of the Genesis Invitational every year, and he also designed Bel Air Country Club just a few minutes down the road from this one. Now, like Riviera, there are some features that LACC has as well. It starts with an opening par five. That was kind of George Thomas's thing. Um, and so you're going to have an easy par five at the start with hole number one this week, which you can see the flyover um, on the screen on YouTube. Um, you pretty much is going to be going hole by hole as I'm talking about them. Now, like Riviera, this is another George Thomas design trend. He liked to do par, like par and a half holes, right? So what he would do is he would make two holes that are, say, he wanted to play as a par 4.5 for both of them. So what he would do is he would just call one of them a par 5 and call one of them a par 4, and then your design score, like you're designed to get the nine strokes between those two holes, right? So basically, however you get there is up to you. Hole 1 and 2 are that way. You've got an easy par 5 and then a very difficult par 4 after that. So that, that's just a George Thomas design feature. You're going to see that it pop up a few times here this week. Now, like Riviera also, this one's going to feature a lot of natural terrain and a decent amount of elevation changes. Now, this one is a little bit different from Riviera though. They've got what's called a barranca at this course. And you're going to hear that term a lot if you watch the broadcast this week. But a barranca is basically a fancy word for a ditch. And it's like a natural area that's in this ditch. And so you're going to end up hitting off a of dirt, hitting off a of natural vegetation. It could be sandy. But the bottom line is this. You don't want to be in the barranca because you never know what lie you're going to get out of it. Uh, and 
you know, it could be a stroke penalty if you end up in that Barranca and end up with a long lie or the wrong lie because you're just not going to be able to get a full shot off of it. You're not going to be able to get clean contact hitting out of that Barranca. Now, that's about where the similarities end between Los Angeles Country Club and Riviera, however, though. Riviera, the base grass is Poa Anua grass, which is common on the West Coast. Uh, and then the roughs are Kikuya grass, which are actually very easy to hit out of. Um, LACC is not that. LACC has Bermuda fairways and Bermuda rough and bent grass greens. It actually has the same fairways and greens as what you would see at Oak Hill or at Augusta National, which is very different, right? Um, but, you know, that's not typical for a West Coast venue to have Bermuda fairways and rough and bent grass greens. It's just not typical. Now, LACC also has much wider fairways than um, Riviera. Uh, it's not going to be very difficult to hit fairways here at LACC this week. Now the greens are also like very different in size. Like you're going to have some small greens, you're going to have some big greens, but even if the greens are big, the landing zones are going to be very difficult because there's a lot of undulation on these greens. Think Augusta National where there's just portions of the green where if the flag is sitting on this portion, you have to be on that tier or on that little landing area or else you're just not going to be able to hold a putt. That, that's kind of a common thing with LACC as well. Now, also, there's not a whole lot of notable history that anybody in this field has playing competitively at Los Angeles Country Club. So the one thing that this event or that this course did host was the 2017 Walker Cup, which is basically like the amateur's version of the Ryder Cup. Most players in Walker Cups are currently playing college golf. So in that Walker Cup for the United States, the headliners were Doug Gim, Maverick McNeely, Colin Morikawa, uh, and then a little guy named Scotty Scheffler played in that tournament as well. Even though at the time, Scotty Scheffler was not like the big man on campus golfer. His teammate Doug Gim was like much better than he was in college. It's kind of crazy to look at the trajectory of their two careers. But anyway, in that tournament, Doug Gim, Maverick McNeely, and Colin Morikawa were all 4-0. Scotty Scheffler was 1-1, which is not bad. Uh, and then Robert McIntyre played um, you know, out of Scotland. He was the only European guy in that field that is in this event. He was 1-1-1 that week. Robert McIntyre, also, also deceptively good major championship history. Definitely worth looking into this week. Now, this course also hosted one Pac-12 championship in 2012. Uh, notable because Patrick Cantlay shot a 62 in that tournament here at Los Angeles Country Club. And then also notable because Max Homa shot the course record 61 in that Pac-12 tournament way back in 2012. Um, so you're going to see like a lot of like people this week that are going to quote that stat that, oh, Max Homa has the course record. So um, just something to remember, something to keep an eye on. Now, another thing also, this course may be in California, but I don't think it's going to play a whole lot like all the other California courses, just because it's a different grass type. It's just different architecture. It's really hard to put... LACC in a box and say that it's, oh, just like this course or just like that course. So let's try to find ourselves some comparisons for Los Angeles Country Club. So the first thing I would look at is Riviera would be like the obvious course comparison, right? To me, it's the lazy 
course comparison. Um, so if you're looking at Riviera, right, and we, we could pull up on Fantasy National here. Um, if we're looking at Riviera, it's 20 minutes down the road from this course. It's got the same architect. Even though the grass types are different, there's definitely some similarities. The best guys at Riviera in the last five years have been, in order, Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Phil Mickelson. That's different. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not the last five years. It's the last 50 rounds. Let's change that to 36. So in the last 36 rounds at Riviera, the best players have been Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Adam Scott, Max Homa, Phil Mickelson, Rory McIlroy, Patrick Cantlay, Xander Schauffele, Victor Hovland, Cameron Young, Colin Morikawa. So what you see in this one, these are like the kings of California. These are guys that whenever the PGA Tour shows up in California, these are the guys that tend to play well, specifically Rahm, Homa, Cantlay, Shoffley, Morikawa, those are guys that pop at a lot of the California courses. So if you're leaning into the California this week, those will be guys to keep an eye on. Now, in terms of U.S. Open venues, I definitely think there are some kind of common threads with some other ones, right? I think the most common U.S. Open venue would be Shinnecock Hills, which was home of the 2018 U.S. Open. Um, it's got very wide fairways. It's got very narrow and tiny landing zones on greens. It's, it's very tough to get up and down if you miss the green at Shinnecock Hills, and I think that'll be the case this week at LACC as well. So that leaderboard back in 2018, you had Brooks Kepka, Tommy Fleetwood, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, Tony Finau, Xander Shoffley, and Tyrrell Hatton. Um, we're T6 or better and are currently in this field. Uh, Justin Rose and Matthew Fitzpatrick a little bit on the outside looking into that top 10. Now, I do think that you can look a little bit at U.S. Open history in general um, for this course. The U.S. Open, they generally get courses that feature a similar skill set that will succeed, right? So I think U.S. Open history is a decent predictor to look at. All U.S. Open courses are going to play difficult to par. All of them are going to be very long golf courses. All of them are going to be very penal rough. All of them are going to be very firm fairways and fast greens. Now, my reservation, though, is that all the U.S. Open courses in like the last decade, pretty much, have placed such a huge emphasis on driving and driving distance. I don't necessarily think that's going to be the case this week. I think it's going to be really easy to hit fairways, and I think the approach shots are going to be what separates guys this week. Anyway, if you just look at U.S. Opens in the last five years, the best players in this field have been Xander Schauffele, Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Roy McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, Hideki Matsuyama, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Colin Morikawa, Bryson DeChambeau, and Gary Woodland. Quite the interesting list there. Anyway, I also think that Chambers Bay, which hosted the 2015 U.S. Open, is not a bad comparison. A lot of quirky architectural features with that course, a lot of elevation changes, um, and a lot of like awkward shots that you had to hit into those greens. And the guys that played well at Chambers Bay also tended to play well at another little course in Georgia called Augusta National. So I actually think Augusta National is not a bad comparison either. Augusta National is um, another course that is very long. It's got bent grass greens. It's going to have you know places that are very difficult to get up and down if you miss the green. Um, and there, there's just kind of a lot of you're going to have to have all the shots in your bag if you want to win at Augusta National. That's the best way I can word that. And, and I think LACC is going to ask that same question as well. Do you have all the shots in your bag to win here? And so if you look at just course history at Augusta National over the last 36 rounds, let's make it a little bit smaller sample size. So over the last 36 rounds at Augusta National, number one is Jordan Spieth. Number two is John Rahm. 
and Rory McIlroy are tied. And then you got Hideki Matsuyama, Justin Rose, Dustin Johnson, Scotty Scheffler, Brooks Kepka, Matt Kuchar, and Ricky Fowler um, rounds out the top 10. So uh, if you want to do a little bit of Augusta National comparison, those would be some guys to go after. You could also look at this year's majors leaderboard. Now, another comp course that I think is a little bit valid, this one's a little outside the box. You're not seeing a whole lot of people with this comp course this week. I think this course has a little bit of St. Andrews in it. Um, obviously St. Andrews, the old course home of the 2022 open championship last year. Um, very wide fairways. St. Andrews had very big greens, but also had very narrow landing zones. And what separated everybody at St. Andrews was your ability to either hit a good approach shot and make birdie or your ability to through a lag putt or through a chip or, you know, whatever, to get up and down to save par, right? And, and I think that's going to be the case this week. I think those are going to be valid strategies. St. Andrews also very firm and very fast. Um, and that's what you're going to see this week here at LACC also. So if you want to look at the leaderboard from that Open Championship, starting at the top, you got Cameron Smith, Cameron Young, Roy McElroy, Tommy Fleetwood, Victor Hovland, Dustin Johnson, Brian Harmon, Jordan Spieth, Bryson DeChambeau, and Patrick Cantlay rounding out the top 10. Now, I think that there are also some other little subtle um, course comparisons. Um, I think you could do TPC Scottsdale. I think you could do Royal Melbourne. Um, I think those are both valid options also. Uh, they're both sand-based. They're both very firm and fast. Um, I don't think it's super comparable because they're not as long or as difficult. But if you're just looking for pure agronomy-wise, sand-based at the bottom, very firm and fast, and natural areas as the main hazard as opposed to water or trees, that would be another comparison. So either way, this golf course, if you're looking for something to go by, it's going to be two things we know for sure. It is going to be difficult to par, and it is going to be long. Now, if it is playing exceptionally difficult to par, we can look at the top golfers that play well at difficult courses. In order, we got Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, Patrick Reed, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, Victor Hovland, Justin Thomas, Hideki Matsuyama, Matt Kuchar, and Scotty Scheffler as your top 10. Now, keep in mind also, whenever you look at metrics this week, the live golfers are going to be a little bit kind of hard to quantify because of the data that we're getting from the live tour is not quite as detailed as the data that we're getting uh, from the PGA tour. So, if you want to look at long golf courses and exclusively long golf courses, we are getting a top 10 list of John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Justin Thomas, Corey Connors, Patrick Cantlay, Brooks Kepka, Scotty Scheffler, Sung J.M. Now, one thing I do want to talk about this week is a lot of people are, you know, just going on record and saying, oh, this course is a bomber's paradise, right? You can just wail away with the driver. It doesn't matter if you miss the fairways. Well, it kind of does matter if you miss the fairways because there's, you know, the Barrancas, there's, you know, the thick rough, the U.S. open rough that we see all the time. Uh, and so it's definitely not going to be optimal to miss the fairways. But I do want to talk about how when there are wide fairways, it creates what I call the Kapalua paradox, which, which is what happens at Kapalua, the plantation course, home of the century tournament of champions. So you got these wide fairways, right? And everybody's going to be hitting the fairways. And so it creates advantages for two types of golfers simultaneously that are diametrically opposed, right? So the, you got the long guys, the long guys off the tee, like a John Rahm or Bryson DeChambeau. Um, you know, John Rahm won this year's Tournament of Champions because he was, 
hitting it as hard as he could and he was hitting all the fairways and he was able to you know hit shorter approaches into greens because of his distance you've also seen at kapalua though shorter hitters off the tee play well because guess what they're in the fairways too so they're getting increased rollout they're getting shots to their comfortable optimal ranges with their irons and they're able to hit greens and cash in birdie putts because they're elite iron players and they're playing from the fairway so you've seen guys like kyle morikawa was runner-up this year cam smith jordan speed justin thomas have all won at kapalua so it, it i would be wary of just saying that oh this course is going to play to bombers because it's very wide off the tee i, I don't necessarily buy into that I think there's multiple paths to success just because the course has wide fairways. Now, also all the time too, there's exceptions to the narrative. So if you're looking at the 2020 U.S. Open, the 2020 U.S. Open was largely considered a bomber's paradise, right? And so if you look at that U.S. Open, at the top of the leaderboard, you had Bryson DeChambeau and Matthew Wolf coming in second. Well, guess what? Third place was Louis Oosthuizen, not long off the tee. Patrick Reed, T13, not long off the tee. Webb Simpson, T8, not long off the tee. Justin Thomas, T8, not exceptionally long off the tee. So, you know, even when a course, you know, is listed as a bomber's paradise, there's still ways for guys who are not bombers to succeed. Guys who are going to play well are going to play well. So when you're looking to pick this week, I don't necessarily know if it would be viable to just say, oh, I'm going to go with all bombers or I'm going to go with all guys who have elite short games. Or, I'm going to go with all guys who are great iron players. I think this is going to be a true test where there are multiple pathways to success and guys are either going to play well or they're not. And there's, it's a U.S. Open. The U.S. Open is the craziest tournament in terms of predictability. You're going to have big names miss the cut. You're going to have, you know, guys come out of nowhere that are in the final pairing on Sunday, like Mackenzie Hughes back in 2021 when John Rahm won it. Um, and so you're just going to end up with a wide variety of outcomes this week, which makes it so hard, so difficult to predict, but it also makes it super exciting. Now, one stat that I did want to get out there is this. All of the last eight U.S. Open winners finished in the top 13 in their last major play. That's a fact. So you look at that PGA Championship, guess what? Look at that top 13. Apparently one of those guys is going to win the U.S. Open if that trend is going to continue. Now also, another trend, Jordan Spieth is the last person to win the Masters and the U.S. Open in the same year. No one has won the PGA and U.S. Open in that order in the same year, because remember, the PGA just flipped to the spring. Um, however, Brooks Kepka did win the U.S. Open and then the PGA Championship back in 2018. So just um, a few trends worth noticing, right? Now, as you can see, we do have the DraftKings pricing already. So I will be back here on the podcast tomorrow night to break down DFS, you know, different guys we can play, different ways we can build our lineup. If you want my specific takes on players, tomorrow night is the place that you're going to get that. Today was all information, all objective, all unbiased, all to just help you prepare for what should be a great week at Los Angeles Country Club, and I'm really looking forward to it. So remember, come back tomorrow night on the podcast, on YouTube. I'll be back talking DFS specifically, getting ready for building lineups for this week. Now, before I go, quick reminder, if you're listening to the podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. Y'all, 
I didn't know this until I started making these, but it really does help the creator out a lot when you subscribe and when you like the video on YouTube. So please hit that like button also. All right, other than that, that, that's all we got for today, guys. So um, hopefully gave you guys a lot of information that can you know help getting you start thinking of who you're going to pick this week, who you're going to put in your DFS lineups, who you're going to be betting to win, who you're going to pick in your office pool. And over the next two days, we're going to be back here giving you more content where we're going to give you our takes on who you should be putting in your DFS lineups or betting to win or picking in your office pool. So thank you guys for listening. Hope we, we gave you guys a lot of actionable information here on this podcast. I will see you next time.